Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the C.L. Brown Show. I am your host, C.L. Brown, columnist with the Louisville Courier-Journal. On this episode, I am very excited to welcome sporting news columnist Mike Corsi. If you are not familiar with Mike's work, he has been a columnist there for the better part of this century, if not the entire century. <laughs> and uh, he is uh, not limited to any sport. He writes on myriad topics, but I like to claim him for college basketball because he cut his teeth the doing a lot of college basketball and he's a fellow Pittsburgh Steeler fan. So, you know, he's a good man and a good reporter, but uh, we're going to take a deep dive into UK basketball and their game this week coming up against North Carolina in the CBS classic down in Atlanta. And we're also going to talk a little bit of U of L and kind of the, the plight of Kenny Payne, if you will, as head coach in his second year at the helm for the Cardinals. So no sound off this week, and we'll probably get back to doing pickup lines when when uh, conference play really kicks off for basketball season. So the next voices you hear will be the conversation I had with Michael DeCourcy from the Sporting News. And welcoming to the show, Mike DeCourcy, who is, in my mind, one of the giants of college basketball reporting, working for the Sporting News. Mike, I appreciate you joining me today. CL, delighted to be asked to join you. Uh, happy to do it. Yes, sir. We're going to jump right into Kentucky this week. Have have a big game coming up against North Carolina in Atlanta in the CBS Classic. Uh, Aaron Bradshaw just basically joined the team um, coming off of a foot injury. He's played the last two games, had more of an impact in this win against Penn. What do you kind of see? I know it's a small sample size, but what what do you kind of see with him being able to join this lineup as as a legitimate big man for them, uh, who ironically can step outside, but still, you know, he, he's got that defensive presence. How How do you see him kind of affecting their lineup? Well, I think it starts with the fact that they had played the first month as a dramatically undersized team because not only uh, were they absent the two that I'm, I'm going to say two for now because one hasn't been approved to compete. Two of them are eligible to compete, just that only one now has appeared uh, in Aaron Bradshaw. Uh, absent the two seven-footers, it's a team that was not only undersized at the center spot playing 6'8 Trey Mitchell there, 
but often played three smaller guards too in a lot of in a lot of their lineups and so uh that that really makes it an interesting uh ch- defensive challenge for them at times and so bringing Bradshaw in now you can be a big team uh you can play two smaller guards uh you can play Edwards on the one wing uh and then you can play Mitchell at the power forward spot and Bradshaw at the center spot and now you're reasonably big uh, for a college basketball team so now you have a lot of different ways that you can line up depending on what the opposition shows you uh, and Bradshaw is so big and quick and versatile and plays so well on the move that if a team tries to force you to size down a little bit uh, and then we see that in col- in co- well, I see that in basketball now. You know, with the Warriors when they when they yeah. play Draymond Green at the center, it, it, they try to force you to size down. You don't have to necessarily go along with that because Bradshaw can stick with a lot of smaller players, a lot of six eight six nine guys. He can he can run with those guys. He can move with those guys. So it really changes who Kentucky can be as a basketball team to have him available, and obviously that will uh, compound. Uh, when Agana and Yenso is ready to play, uh, because then you'll not only have one seven footer who can move, you'll have two. And Yenso is probably not quite as uh, quick uh, as as Bradshaw is away from the basket, but he's dynamic around the goal. And I think I think with time he'll be a, a very effective screen defender too. Just hasn't had a lot of run to do that. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm glad you used the phrase the team Kentucky can be because I'm still kind of wondering that I, I I know that since it's a young team and it's still relatively early in the season uh, and I don't think they've done this too much, but I felt like the game against St. Joseph that, uh, that they had to go into overtime to pull out the game against UNC Wilmington that they ended up losing at home. Two examples of where I felt like maybe they, they, didn't take the opponent seriously enough. Maybe they didn't look at that scouting report hard enough. But then you look at what they did against Miami, which I know Miami has some flaws and and they probably, you know, um, coming off that final four run, maybe maybe we just assume they would get it smoothed out quicker than than Larinaga has been able to. But still very formidable team with veteran players. Uh, and they destroyed them, you know. <laughs> and so, uh, and and even in the loss to Kansas, this was a young team playing against a bunch of veterans that you know were in a position to win that game. So, wh- which what what do you think is closer to the real Kentucky? You know, where oh. where they show up in those big game situations, or where they kind of let down in in games that don't quite have their attention the same way. See, I will say this. I've been around this for 40 years and and I covered teams day to day for about half that little maybe team about half that. And and so I was I've been around a lot of basketball and it team it, it, it really offends the sensibilities of some fans when a team acknowledges. Yeah, we did. We took them lightly. But here's the here's the truth. Teams take teams lightly because. They have in this in this sport, they have to play 30 to 35 to 40 games, depending on how long their tournaments last in March. And you're not going to be your best in every game. 
I, not every one of my articles is the very best. <laughs> uh, it's just the way people are. Yeah. And so there are times, especially at home, when you think, eh, we don't have, you know, it, it, maybe you don't even think it, but deep down, you're like, it, subconsciously, you're thinking you can get by without your best game. And, and, and it's most of the time you can, if you're, if you're good. And in this case, it stung Kentucky. And so they need, they now know they need to be much more judicious about that, uh, that, that maybe you don't play hard for 40, but you play hard for the 20 that you need to get a significant enough lead on the opposition that you can relax a little bit. Uh, that, 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 that happens in college basketball. I mean, when I was covering Cincinnati on a day-to-day basis from 97 to 2000, I can't even count how many times the Bearcats would go out in the first half. These were very good teams. They'd go out in the first half, and they would crush the opposition, and they'd be up 20 or 25 after 20 minutes, and they'd think, okay, work done. And then the other team would make a few threes, and the game would end up being seven or eight, and Huggins would come into the press conference livid about it. I mean, it was like the same thing over and over again. It's just the way It's just the way all athletes are. It's not even young people. Yeah. It's all athletes are going to have times when they're not their absolute best. So I, I don't worry about that. I mean, I, I would worry about that if it showed up in the NCAA tournament. I mean, you can't do that at all when you get that far. If you think you can, you're sorely mistaken. But can you do that against the worst team in your conference at home? Often you can get away with that. And most of the time you can do it in a non-conference game against a solid team like UNCW, this time they didn't. Yeah. So I wanted to also zero in specifically on Justin Edwards for UK, who, you know, coming in after he signed and and the kind of preseason hype, if you will, some people were viewing him as a potential top five NBA draft pick uh, uh, in 2024. And the way it's played out we haven't quite seen him have that breakthrough yet. He's, he's, you know, not, not shooting well uh, from uh, not shooting a high percentage, I should say from the floor, definitely not from three point range where he's, he's about 25%, I think. And uh, outside of when they're out running, I, I really haven't seen him, you know, kind of, kind of have that, uh, that breakthrough that I guess I was expecting him to have how do you view, you know, just kind of where Justin Edwards is? Is this is this something UK fans should be concerned about right now, or is it still early enough to where he's going to play to his potential? Well, the thing about that position, which is basically he's basically a small forward. You can call him a card all you want; that's fine. It's what it's what's listed on the roster. But I mean, he's a six eight small forward in reality, and that is the hardest position to transition to from high school to college because that 68 small forward has spent a lot of his time getting points by being bigger, stronger, quicker, faster than the players he's going against in high school. That's that's the reality of that position and it's a hard transition to go from that to the modern college uh, and and eventually pro three man where you got to be able to shoot the ball if you can't, you're going to have some difficulty in most modern college and pro offenses generating scoring opportunities. 
And so I'm not really overly concerned that he's not made three, that he's not been the productive player that we would have liked to see. Uh, he's he's a talented guy. We saw some real spark from him at times in the Bahamas trip. And we've seen some from at times in, in this uh, regular season. And he is shooting 47% uh, rounded up uh, from, from, from the field, which means that when he's not shooting threes, he's been really effective at scoring. So I, I think that a couple of things that need to happen, one is that he obviously needs to become more proficient at shooting threes or maybe more judicious about which ones he takes so that his percentage can go up. And two, I think he needs to be more assertive about when he t- tries to create two-point opportunities. He's taken 73 shots to this point of those 27 are threes. For someone who's shooting over 50% on twos and under 30% from three, I think you need to emphasize getting to the lane, getting yourself fouled, uh, trying to finish with contact and all of that, uh, more so than trying to take three-pointers that you're not making. So that I think that that will help him build confidence, and then eventually maybe those three start to drop. So I wouldn't be overly concerned about it, but I do know that for reasons I mentioned before, uh, that at times they're a little small. He gives you again the opportunity if if he's if he's a consistent, reasonably consistent, thirty-five ish, thirty-four ish three point shooter. If he's that, they can be a really big team without losing any of the dynamism that that can make them extraordinary. Yeah. Uh, will you be in Atlanta on Saturday for that game? I will not. No. Okay. Okay. Well, out of curiosity, just how do you see this game matching up? I feel like when these two programs are are at their best, we we've seen some classic games in the regular season and, and the, the uh, 2012 when Anthony Davis gets the last second block shot on John Henson, one yeah. point Kentucky win and, and the Vegas shootout, where Malik Monk uh, for UK and Justin Jackson for Carolina go crazy. I think what well, Malik had forty-seven that game. If I'm if my right, memory serves right. correct, yeah, forty-seven somewhere in there. Yes. Yeah, yeah, just some some great matchups. I, I I'm gonna be there, so I'm hoping it's gonna be <laughs> so <laughs> something like that. But how how do you see it playing out? Well, it's interesting because what the 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 area in which. Carolina has an apparent advantage is that strength component with Armando Baycott. I mean, he's so big and powerful, averaging a dozen rebounds a game. He gives them something that uh, Bradshaw has only played one and a half college games. And now you're saying to him, okay, deal with this. Now, when Car- when Kentucky does go smaller, it's going to force Baycott in, uh, with, with Trey Mitchell playing that that uh, that that center spot and and often away from the goal, uh, it's going to force Baycott into some interesting defensive conundrums. Uh, but at the same time, then Trey is going to have to deal with Baycott underneath the basket, and that's a real chore. I mean, he's so physically powerful. He's got some really nice moves. He he, he plays with great energy. Uh, that's a real challenge for them. It'll be interesting to see what the Wildcats do defensively on R.J. Davis, who's had a great start to this yeah, season. Yeah. Uh, I know everybody's excited about Caleb Love at Arizona, 
I still think the Carolina people are the most excited about Caleb Love being in Arizona because they didn't want him around anymore. Uh, I think that it just wasn't clicking there. And you can see it in R.J. Davis's play. He's been terrific, averaging 21 points, uh, shooting 37% from three, uh, playing a little bit less point guard than he has at times uh, with Elliot Cadeau now coming in and, and running their offense uh, as a freshman. So it's it's an interesting matchup wherein they both have terrific talent and they are they are not complementary. They are somewhat opposite of one another. Uh, Baycott's strength against the 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 varied speed uh, and dynamism of of the Wildcats. I think it'll I think one of the keys will be Kentucky being able to enforce a slightly faster pace. Uh, then even Carolina loves to play fast. Don't get me wrong, but I think that uh, I think that that Kentucky can play at an up tempo that could make Carolina less comfortable, but only if those shots are dropping like they were the first thirty minutes, first twenty five against Kansas. When that when the shots stopped dropping, uh, Kentucky's advantage in that game went away. I could see that happening again in this one. So they have to find a way to keep that up. Well, I, uh, I'm i going from the highs of that potential matchup to some lows. <laughs> and I hate to say it that way, but for Louisville basketball, um, they're coming off of loss of a loss at DePaul, which at one point, you know, if there has ever been a gimme, in a series, yeah, I think they had U of L won 18 of 20 meetings from like 1999 to 2013 when they are in the same conferences. Uh, since then, you know, they hadn't played uh, definitely not annually or as often, but now U of L has dropped the last two. And Kenny Payne's situation here, you know, you hear it in on the the call-in shows on radio uh you can see it basically at the kfc yum center during home games they're just not getting the the same kind of support that you know that they've been accustomed to how long do you think kenny payne can survive here well it's hard for me to say that uh because I don't obviously know what's going to happen in the second half of this year. I know I do know that there have been some significant mistakes made in my estimation. And the first one, when when I when I was doing regular spots on Louisville Radio, it obviously was not easy to find things to talk about relative to the Cardinals. I used to be on every Tuesday uh, for a half an hour, Tuesday afternoons for a half an hour, talking about mostly about the cards and the cats during basketball season. And it was not easy to find things to, last season to talk about relative to the cards. But the one thing I said at the very beginning that I thought that Louisville and, and, and Coach Payne, what they needed to do last year, because they weren't going to be good. We all knew that. But they could be they could be emphatic. They could create a culture that they could create a standard. This is what happens in Louisville basketball. Win, lose, whatever. We'll probably lose more than we win, but this is the least you can do. It doesn't go below here relative to effort, commitment, teamwork, et cetera. Uh, you're going you're gonna to give this much or you're not playing because we're probably not winning anyway and we can lose without you. That should have been the way it went. And I used 
Cincinnati 2006 one, they had no scholarship returning player. Well, they had one returning scholarship player, excuse me, and he was a senior. So uh, Cedric, Cedric McGowan, he only got one year out of him. And he had a lot of junior college new, newcomers, some high school kids. And they said, OK, this is the least this is this is the line. You don't go below here. We play somebody else. And and they and they won a bunch of games. They probably shouldn't have won. And they created a, a culture that eventually turned into a streak of NCAA tournament appearances that was one of the longest in the NCAA before McCrona went to 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 UCLA. Uh, and then there was Indiana around the same time. Two, I think it was two years later, Tom Crean takes over, and they had no scholarship players. And again, he enforced that standard. You're not going to go below this because we're probably not winning anyway. So if you don't match the standard – then we'll just go ahead and lose with that guy. And I don't think that happened at Louisville last year. I didn't see it in watching their games. And I, I spoke to some people afterward uh, who suggested that, that that my impressions were correct. And so I think they wasted a year. And even, even though they were probably not going to have a very good record, I think they wasted the opportunity to say what the standard would be. And then this year... I think that their mistake was made in scheduling because this is a team that no one had any idea of the returning players or the newcomers. No one really had any idea how to win games. So go out and win games. They'll be playing Texas and Indiana and playing on the road at, you know, at, at DePaul, obviously Virginia tech is a league game. You got to do that. Um, but like duck every challenge, high major challenge you can. You can't get Duck Kentucky. That's that you got. And then you're playing in the ACC. But you didn't need to play anybody else. You should have played all. Uh, I, I know people don't want to hear that, but they needed to learn how to win. How to, and again, to try to enforce a standard, but more so with the with a group you're trying to move forward with. You needed to learn how to win. And instead, you're playing teams that you're really not you're, you're really not on the same level with. And, you know, they they competed very well against Texas and Indiana. Uh, but now they they've dropped consecutive games to teams that aren't expected to be great. And DePaul was really struggling early in the season. So uh, taking a loss like that doesn't help you in any way. And honestly, because you're probably not headed to the tournament, playing a game like that doesn't really help you. You should have been playing uh, someone from the Southern Conference or – uh, or the Southland or something like that. And instead, you're taking an L from a Big East team, even if it's the least of the Big East teams. Yeah, yeah. The The funny thing I feel like with this team is uh, you can see the pieces. You can see they're not far off, but it's just – it. I, I just think it's so difficult right now given what they're coming off of last season – I, I almost feel like when they went to New York and played those two games that they were playing with, uh, you know, freer than they are when they play at home, because it's like it's almost like there's something in the air, Mike, you know, like yeah. it's 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 just a weight, you know, given a weight of four and 28, if you will, kind of hanging, hanging on them. So, yeah, the that's what I'm talking about, win. why they needed to 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 do what they did last year, because. You use yeah. those Cincinnati and Indiana examples, and their fan bases didn't come away from those two years worried about the fact that, I don't know, I think they both won around 11 games because they could see it on the floor. They could see on the floor. Those guys were given everything they had. 
They didn't have everything to give, but they were giving everything they had. So they felt enthusiastic about the possibility. You watched these guys last year. You didn't see that. You didn't see everything they had on the floor, except for maybe one or two games. They played 32. Uh, that 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 one or two games in that in that stretch isn't enough. You you hit the nail on the head. They can't see the possibilities. That that is the problem. No no one is really sitting here thinking that things are going to get better because of what they've seen. Um, I, I actually probably talked too long about Kentucky, so <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to have to wrap this up in a minute. But. I I was curious too. just your thoughts on if there's anything, if there's a, has been a situation comparable to this. And, you know, obviously I I thought of Matt Doherty at North Carolina, but uh, you know, in terms of a former player at his alma mater and, and things kind of going South in the second season, but um, yeah, I, I I really couldn't think of something to say because even in that situation, Matt wasn't starting where Kenny Payne was starting from. Like he, they, if I remember correctly, they were coming off of a Final Four when Guthridge retired. And, Correct. And you know he had Matt Doherty had more to work with from the beginning. Um, Initially, uh, yes, and and they and they had a good solid year in two thousand and one. They did a they did not have a great tournament. Yeah, uh, but they had a good solid year. They really went toe to toe with a with a national championship level Duke team a couple of times in the regular season. Then Carolina did not have a good tournament, and then uh, the talent that was on that 01 team uh, and the Final Four team prior vacated, uh, and then you were left with not enough ability, and that's when it went bad. Uh, but then he recruited the foundation of the 2005 championship team. Yeah. Yeah. So it was yeah, so even as they were struggling through that terrible 2002 year, they still had that hope uh, in for for the future because they were they recruited uh, Sean May and they'd signed Rashad McCanson, Raymond Felton. So they thought they'd be fine. Uh, so it, it's a little bit different even than that here. Uh, but I, but uh, here's the thing. I mean, Kenny hasn't hasn't. Uh, you know he hasn't he hasn't lost friends. He's just lost people's confidence. People still like him. They want them to be good. Yeah. So if they could get this ignited, that uh, I I could see people getting behind them. I mean, again, I don't think I don't know whether he had to make the tournament for everybody to feel good about the future, but they have to play better basketball and they have to compete harder on a regular basis. Uh, it, as you said, play like those games they played. Uh, in in New York, uh, but but obviously you got to carry that home and get your fans involved uh, when they, when they're playing at home and and they're going to have to get some results in the ACC. They don't have to be a first division team or anything like that, but they're going to have to be more competitive for people to get excited about the future. Yeah, yeah. Well, one person who you can depend on for results, Mike DeCourcy. Sporting news. I thank you so much for joining me. I, I, I gonna have to, I'm gonna have to have you back because you know this 30 minutes isn't enough. <laughs> I need more time when I'm talking college hoops. But thank you so much for joining me, Mike. My pleasure, CL. Thank you for having me. That's gonna do it for another episode of the CL Brown Show. We really could have talked like another 30 minutes easily. 
on on college basketball, on Louisville situation, on the bigger picture in terms of who's doing what so far in this non-conference slate of the season. But there'll be plenty of time to discuss that in the coming weeks. Please click on that subscribe button if you like what you heard. Please leave a positive review. And if not, just come on back next week. We drop new episodes every Wednesday. Thank you again for tuning in. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.